Hello, and welcome to the Mayday Podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Luca. And today, we have a bit of a Halloween treat for you. Anna and I have both brought to the table a couple of spooky stories that we'd like to share, just to um, spice things up a little. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Bunurong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. And some content warnings for this episode. There will be mentions of suffocation, drowning, slavery, and suicide. So we had a bit of a chat, and we decided to break things up a little bit by, instead of doing another inevitable two-parter... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which we totally plan every time. (laughs) (laughs) Look, all right, we're trying. We'll get better, I promise. We instead decided that we would pull a couple of short stories together um, that we could each share back and forth that just uh, creep us out a little. Or a lot. Yeah. (laughs) They creep me out a lot. I don't like shipwrecks. Should I highlight that? (laughs) (laughs) Really weird that you wanted to do, like, all of these nautical mysteries and shipwrecks when you have a, like, fear of shipwrecks. Why did you do this to yourself, Luca? (laughs) Okay, I really like ships, which I feel like is known. Yeah, it's Uh, it's pretty This is a known quantity. (laughs) But I just have this, like, deep visceral fear of things underwater, which does include shipwrecks. Yeah, that's all I have to say on that. I Like, Googling these things was actually quite difficult. <laughs> I was going to say, how many images of shipwrecks did you have to look at in the process of doing this research? Yeah, so Safari has this cool setting where it, like, doesn't load the images, which yeah. was quite helpful, to be honest. <laughs> I anyone... didn't even think about this, and I knew you had a fear of this. <laughs> I just forgot about it until right now. Now I'm like, why are we doing this? If anyone does want to be terrified out of their mind and learn about a new phobia you probably didn't realize you had, just r slash submechaphobia, just go and sort by top of all time. Did you mention it's on Reddit? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's a Reddit thing. Yeah. But seriously, a couple of really, really cool history subreddits, but that subreddit specifically is just pictures of things underwater, which, like, are totally, like, fine for people that don't have this, like, terrible fear of things underwater. I'll say I enjoyed the thread. Um... (laughs) You looked a bit ill while I was looking through it. <laughs> it's a mistake I make every time, okay? <laughs> I was recently watching this BBC miniseries. It's just like six episode murder mystery set on a submarine. Great miniseries. Vigil. Vigil? Yeah. Great miniseries. Um, every time they had like a panning shot of the submarine, I just did not enjoy that at all. <laughs> Why do you keep doing this to yourself? Like, at least with my irrational phobia, I, like, actively avoid anything involving it. So I don't go through this, whereas I feel like you seek it out. I, I don't. I just really like ships, and inevitably these two things intersect. When ships fail to be afloat, people like to take pictures of it. I guess my things are connected. I really like vampires, but I hate leeches. That is a great point. I'm going to bring that up <laughs> next time you accuse me. <laughs> anyway, let's start with the shipwreck, shall we? I'm bringing three little stories to the table and you're bringing one long one and one shorter one is that right yeah like two slightly longer ones yeah Yeah. sweet so the first ship slash shipwreck i'm bringing to the table is the ss andrea doria which was an italian ocean liner built in the early 1950s and it is one of the most popular shipwreck diving sites in the world sometimes called the mount everest of scuba diving Mm. because it's so popular but difficult Now, as shipwrecks go, this one actually went really well. (laughs) Bit of an oxymoron. (laughs) So the Andrea Doria was sailing from Europe to New York. As it was, like, pulling into American waters, it was 
coming through this like massive dense fog cloud. All was well until as they were departing the fog, so they were reaching the edge of the fog area, another ship, the MS Stockholm, was coming towards the fog and just like couldn't see anything in the fog, so thought everything was fine. And the two ships collided at about 11 p.m. on the 25th of July in 1956. The boat was like not even five years old. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Very expensive uh, Italian ocean liner. Very much just ran into another ship. <laughs> how, how big was this other ship compared to the ocean liner? Like tiny. Like the 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 Stockholm is like a much smaller ship. Okay. Yeah. In fact, it's one of the, it was one of the smaller ships that was in service at the time. One of the smaller like ocean liners. So it's like a go kart hitting a truck. Kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but at speed. Maybe more like a maybe more like a sedan hitting a truck. <laughs> okay. Honest, but. So one of the cool things about the Andrea Doria was actually that when it, when she was hit, the captain. In about 30 minutes, called an um, abandoned ship. He totally understood that the ship was sinking. It was just a matter of time. And the Andrea Doria actually ended up staying afloat for 11 hours after the collision, wow. which left enough time to get almost everybody off um, and save like the vast majority of people on board. Uh, so, of the 1,706 people who were on board, only 46 lives were lost, which is obviously tragic, but like given how that this could incredible. have gone, it like, yeah. it was 11 p.m., everyone was asleep, this could have gone terribly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as she's sinking in the water, because they're so close to the coast, a bunch of other ships are around, and basically these other ships begin pulling up and lowering their own lifeboats into the water and sending them over towards the Andrea Doria to get all of the passengers off. Uh, the, the Stockholm, which was the ship that was hit, also took on water. The ships of, like, the, the broken bow were incredible. Like, the entire backside of the boat was just sheared off. The captain realizes that Stockholm is not sinking and he lowers his lifeboats into the water and sends them over to the Andrea Doria to pull passengers off that That's ship. Insane. Yeah, even though his passengers were all asleep in their beds. <laughs> yeah, he basically like, and, and he was right. The Stockholm did not sink. Yeah. She turned around and she sailed back to port while the Andrea Doria capsized and sank to the bottom of the ocean. The really cool thing about the Andrea Doria is that it's really shallow water there in comparison to where other ocean liners generally sink. Uh, it's only like a 50 meter depth, which as diving goes, is kind of the point that you get shallowest that you can go without being like proper deep sea diving, right? Yeah. It's still technically scuba diving at that point. Mm. A safe, casual scuba diver distance to dive without it being too dangerous. So Andrea Doria is sinking, but they've managed to save the vast majority of people. It's a it's a huge inquiry, like what went wrong here? But the Stockholm returns to port and gets repaired. And I, just before we move on to what happens to the Andrea Doria, I want to ask you, how long do you think the Stockholm stayed in service after the collision? Oh. This was 1956 when this happened. I feel like it's going to be longer than I expect, so I'm going to say like a couple of years, like, like, like 10 years. Like 10 years? So you reckon she went out of service in like the mid-60s? Yeah, uh, it's going to be much longer than that. It's going to be it? so much longer than that. How long is it? She's still in service. She's still in service? Yeah. Aww. It's like... <laughs> I, it blew my mind. Okay, so so the, the Stockholm she was re- she was renamed a bunch and she was sold a bunch of times. Um, she's now called the MV Astoria, but she's still sailing technically. But here's the thing: she's actually not sailing right now because in 2020 she was seized by the UK Coast Guard because of illegal COVID activities. Um, and the company that owned her went into administration, and she's currently on auction. Oh my god! You can buy the Stockholm. <laughs> Uh, the minimum bid is uh, ten million pounds. So, does anyone have ten million pounds? <laughs> Do any of our listeners want to give us an incredible donation? <laughs> Me and Luca have always wanted to have a boat. So, <laughs> please. 
Yeah, like wild stuff. Anyway, so technically you can go and see and or buy the uh, the MV Astoria, formerly Stockholm. Very cool. Uh, but anyway, Andrea Doria sinks. It takes 11 hours, but it does happen. And because it took so long, there's like amazing pictures of the sinking. Like definitely recommend looking some of them up because it's incredible. But she sinks, she lies on the floor, and she is incredibly well preserved. Due to like the ocean currents in the area, diving is possible, but very dangerous. The thing that is famous about this shipwreck specifically is the high fatalities of divers who have gone there after the sinking of the boat. Mm. So because it's like a lot of amateur divers go because it is like a possible dive, but they don't follow proper safety procedures because it's also a very dangerous dive. Mm. I'm looking at pictures of it sinking. Yeah, it's crazy, it's isn't sick. it? Yeah, so as I said, um, incredibly dangerous spot to dive. 22 scuba divers have lost their lives diving the Andrea Doria since she sunk in 56. So the reason that I even know about this shipwreck at all is I came across a Reddit post, maybe. Again, with the Reddit. <laughs> but, so I came across one of the pictures of it sinking, and I was like, wow, that's, that's incredible, but also terrifying. Uh, and I was reading through some of the comments. There was this diver who wrote a comment. He, he basically laid out how he had gone and, and dived at the wreck and how it was an incredible experience, but when they were all suiting up and getting ready, the dive lead got everyone to stand around, tried to sort of impart how dangerous this wreck is and how you really need to be careful and safe. And he takes out this bag of junk and he just like turns it up on the deck and it's a couple of broken teacups and just some like rusted old bits of metal. But he basically says, we had a diver who died for this. Because he was scavenging the wreck, mm. he picked up these things that were worthless, really. Yeah. And he died because he ran out of oxygen. Mm. The wreck itself is, like, deteriorating pretty rapidly because of the ocean currents. Mm. Um, and where once it was, like, a, almost perfectly preserved. Because it basically sank and it was so shallow, it just tipped on its side and lay there. Yeah. And now it's just sitting there, slowly deteriorating as divers sort of go down every now and then. Please be safe. Please be safe. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, really, like, really amazing dive side. Um, horrifying pictures if you're me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I quite enjoy the pictures, but yeah, it makes sense for you to <laughs> not again. Why did you do this to yourself? Yeah, just like, just uh, what a haunting place. Yeah. You know, not because an exceptional number of people died when she sank, but mm. because it's just so dangerous to dive there. The fact that like, what, half the people, half the number of people who died during the sinking have just died. Have died have, since. Have died just since, died yeah. In. Yeah. That's crazy. And that uh, is all I have to say about the uh, Andrea Doria. Incredible, incredible pictures if anyone wants to look it up. So I'm going to follow up the story of the Andrea Doria with a very famous ship, but I think one of those ones that people know the name, but they don't really know the circumstances so well. So you have heard of the Mary Celeste? Yes, but I'm those people. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, so you probably know it was a ghost ship, which... I learned that now. (laughs) There you go. So it was a ghost ship, which basically means it was found abandoned, but still sailing, which is spooky. (laughs) Hence, Halloween podcast episode. (laughs) So the Mary Celeste was a merchant brigantine, originally built in Canada under British ownership in 1861, uh, first called the Amazon. It has quite a messy history, even before it became a ghost ship. So its first captain fell sick and died days into its maiden voyage. Oh, my God. Yep. (laughs) It also went on to collide with fishing equipment in Maine, and then it hit and sunk a brig in the English Channel. Oh, my God. This is all within six years. 
because <laughs> I know. So she's the Stockholm of this story. She's deeply unlucky. It's incredible. Because um, she gets beached in a storm in Nova Scotia in 1867. Oh, brutal. And is abandoned as a wreck. And then it scavenged. And then the remains of the ship are sold and it's restored in 68. So oh this my is God. this is all before so the, the thing that made it famous. Yeah, so wait, it's like a half rebuilt ship basically. Yes. She was, wow. It was abandoned as a wreck, but it wasn't like totally destroyed. Yeah. But it was still they were like, it's cheaper for us to leave it than to try and fix yes. it up. And someone else was like, I'm gonna pour money into fixing this up. 100 percent Um, poor decision, he went bankrupt. <laughs> I feel like everything about this is just trying desperately to not let this ship get on the ocean. (laughs) Who let this ship happen? It's ruined so many lives. So he goes bankrupt and it gets seized in 1869. Um, Goes through a bit of, you know, work in the courts and then it's refit again. And it's set off on its new maiden voyage from um, New York to Genoa in Italy. And is this as... The Mary Celeste This now. is now the Mary Celeste, and it's flying under an American flag. Mm-hmm. So the Mary Celeste leaves New York on November 7th, 1872. On board are Captain Briggs and his wife and their two-year-old daughter. They also have a son who they, I think, left behind with relatives. Brutal. Yeah, I don't know why. It was a weird choice. Honestly, why bring the baby? Him, though, like- yeah, well. <laughs> so alongside Briggs, wife, daughter, are seven crew members. And a cargo of 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol. So that's kind of like methylated spirits. Oh, okay. Is that, what does denatured mean specifically? Something has been added to the alcohol to make it like not really consumable. Oh, but as like methylated spirits, it's used for other things like fuel stripping down paint, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. That is a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Like that's a, a ton of barrels. Mm. much and like for a very small crew i mean you've got seven yeah yeah seven crew members and then the captain and yeah. then like a random woman and child yeah which as we know <laughs> are bad luck on sea journeys <laughs> that was their mistake none yes. of this other stuff beforehand it was the woman and the child on right board. that's why everything that is about to happen happened i'm excited so they leave on 7th of november come to the 4th of december and we have the De Gracia, which is a Canadian brigantine, and that had left New Jersey eight days after the Mary Celeste, following the same route. And there's some evidence that maybe the captains had known each other and just, you know, were vaguely connected. Mm. So the De Gracia is midway between the Azores and Portugal when the captain spies a vessel about six miles ahead of them. It's sailing on the water. It's sailing strangely and erratically. So he sort of sails closer to try and investigate it. Mm. He sees no one on board. And the sails are, like, partially set and in a bad condition. So he's obviously very concerned. Mm. Sends over two of his crew members in the launch boat to go check on it. They find, as I said, the sails are in bad condition. The ship's compass and a sounding rod have been abandoned on deck. Water has damaged some of the cabins. Their contents are untouched, though. And all of the, like, provisions and the cargo itself are still there. No one can be seen. And the only thing's missing are the ship's papers and the captain's navigational instruments and one lifeboat. One and only one lifeboat. Okay. So bad storm, everyone climbs into a lifeboat, or someone murders everyone, climbs into a lifeboat. You're basically listing out like a couple of the existing theories. Yeah. But the thing is like with abandoning a ship, you only do that 
when you really have no other choice. Yeah. Like abandoning ship is a big deal. And yeah. what they're finding as they go around the ship is that there is no evidence of damage, no evidence of fire. Um, the water damage is not that bad. It's just from like a couple hatches coming undone, some water getting in. There's a bit of water in the hold, but not an amount that would be totally unusual for a ship of the size. Yeah. I'm just thinking like if there was a fire on board and you had that much alcohol, you'd be like, we need to leave now. But if there was no evidence of fire, like... Yeah, it's... Unless someone called fire, but there was no fire. But again, like, they don't, you don't just abandon the ship quickly, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's very curious. What they do find is the ship's log, which is in the uh, first mate's cabin, and they find the final entry dated to November 25th, about nine days ago, with the ship's location recorded at a point 740 kilometres away from its current position. Oof. Yeah. So is it even possible that it would have dr drifted that distance in nine days? I mean, technically, I guess. Yeah, there's been a lot of, like, experiments done and all kinds of stuff later, and technically, yes. But its sails were, like, partially done up and partially unfilled. Ropes were hanging all over the deck. It was not in the best condition. So it's it's, it's unlikely. Yeah. It's not impossible. Yeah. It's just very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very lucky that it didn't just run aground or sink somewhere. Exactly. So what happens is the De Gracia crew, they split up. They sail the ship into Gibraltar, and then it goes through this, like, lengthy salvage court process. So because they found it, they have some rights to salvaging what's left on board. Just a bunch of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> but alcohol is worth quite a bit, right? Yeah, 100%. And the ship itself is worth a reasonable amount because it's fairly new, actually, because it's been refit and everything. Yeah. Because this is such a, like, weird mystery, this becomes, like, massive publicly and the court process takes a really long time. Um, there's, as I said, no major evidence of damage. But no one can account for what happened to the crew. So they don't think it's pirates because the cargo was untouched. Uh, some people accuse the De Gracia crew of killing the Mary Celeste crew and then, like, so, like just so they could salvage the ship, basically. Ooh, um, wow. Yeah, others claim the crew themselves, seven crew members, mind, like it's a small crew, but some claim that they got drunk and murdered the, the captain and his family and then left in the, the lifeboat and just, you know, never revealed their names again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, w I wouldn't be beyond the beyond expectation that someone cracked a barrel of of alcohol you should not drink. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, drank some and things went terribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think they couldn't really find um, many of the barrels like lacking in uh, the alcohol, so they found um, a, f a handful of them were empty. But that's because they were made out of a different kind of oak to the rest of them, and that was one that was known to be quite porous. Mm. So it just seemed like they'd probably like leaked. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like because it was just those barrels that were made out of that. It, it's yeah. pretty obvious, like, connection to make. Yeah. They did find some axe marks on the ship's rail with stains that looked like blood alongside similar stains on a sword that was found in the captain's quarters. So his sword. However, these were later deemed to be another substance. I couldn't work out what it was from reading online, but... Not blood, but looked a lot like blood. And to be honest, I don't trust 1872 forensics. So because yeah, <laughs> they don't was, have that was blood. They, right, that that was blood. That was that was blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was like, it's wine, guys. And everyone was like, oh yeah, it checks out. <laughs> yeah, let's just move past this. It's too concerning a, a thought. <laughs> yeah, axe marks on the rail. Yeah, like two or three, not a huge amount. But enough that it's like someone was swinging. It's weird. Like, yeah, yeah they're making repa repairs on a ship all the time, so it's yeah, not... Cutting totally a rope maybe or something, but just yes. odd. Odd, yeah, worth noting. 
So various theories become popular in public discourse, uh, some ranging from giant squids. Uh, incredible. Who, yeah. Who That's just, my vote. <laughs> there's actual people from the Natural History Museum who were like, oh, well, they get really big and they could have like actually <laughs> gone and grabbed someone and speak like, So the Kraken. The Kraken is their theory. <laughs> yeah. So, like, modern age, 1870s version of the Kraken um, with fake science to back it up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people say... Um, no, no, it's a Kraken holding an axe, Anna. You got, you have to... <laughs> You're right, I'm sorry. The Kraken axe murdered yeah. them. <laughs> and then threw away the lifeboat to throw everyone off the scent. <laughs> and then it's a red the, herring. And then, and then put the, the log in the first mate's cabin. <laughs> Drank some alcohol. It was having a good time. Yeah, I mean, look, maybe maybe giant squids can have untreated spirits. Maybe yeah, it's good for them. <laughs> it's their, their thing. Anyway, it was bait. It was bait all along. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. So crackhead uh, theory is... Uh... Kraken theory. Um, there's the uh, noxious gas released by the alcohol in storage theory, which might have, like... I mean... That's not really based on, like, very good science. Yeah, is that, like, that's not <laughs> that's, really that's a thing an old that could theory. happen? Yeah. Like, it could, but, like, there's not... It's from people who don't really understand yeah. alcohol or gases. You yeah, know? It's, it's just a lot of alcohol. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I think there's this idea that they breathed in the fumes and got drunk. Okay, that's not what I was going for. I was going for more like a carbon monoxide poisoning situation. No, because like, like the bodies would be there. Yeah, this is a good point. And this is in the hold. So yeah. it's not even like a place where they're spending time, right? Yeah. So yeah, ridiculous. And also, uh, this is a theory that's still put forward by some people, which is that it was some kind of strange environmental phenomena, like a water spout. So like all this water shoots up. There is a little bit of water damage on deck, but like not enough to really... Like, I think, um, warrant that, but people think maybe that scared them or something and they go into the lifeboat. But again, cannot emphasize enough how, like, how much of a last resort it is to go into the lifeboat away from your ship, especially when you're, like, not, I mean, there's, there's, uh, some evidence that maybe they thought they were closer to land than they actually were, but even then. Yeah. It's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about the Mary Celeste is that, it's, it became so famous in the years afterwards and like the decades afterwards mm. because people obviously kept like retelling the story, but every now and then a new sort of um, fake journal from someone who was on it would turn up or yeah. someone would publish like a short story that was made to appear realistic. Yeah. And so a lot sometimes these were actually believed and these kind of hoaxes were, you know, thought to be real until people revealed otherwise. And usually it was like very obvious mistakes made. Like people misspelt Mary Celeste. Yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, as Marie instead yeah. of Mary. Oh, that's funny. And they mis like misnamed the various captains involved on both that and the De Gracia. And it's just it's messy. Yeah. One of the most famous ones was a fake history that was based on a like statement from one of the sailors, supposedly on the ship, and it claimed that a vengeful slave had murdered the captain and everyone involved, had hidden on the boat and murdered all of them. Yikes, obviously. Yikes with the racism angle. Yes. Um, if he was a slave owner, he deserved it. Yeah, so like <laughs> there was it's I think it I haven't read the story. But um, I think it's based on the fact that the well, back when it was the Amazon, I think the ship did actually work a fair bit in the West Indies. Oh, wow. So it was literally a, a slave ship. Like it wasn't a slave ship. It was more that it was working, like moving things to slave colonies, that kind yeah, of thing. Okay. But this short story was written by a 25-year-old Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> so um, not at all substantiated, but very interesting uh, history. Yes. 
<laughs> but also, oof, coming from the man who created Sherlock Holmes and books that I really love. So <laughs> not so good on the uh, murder mystery. Uh, he was he was cutting his teeth in the genre, Anna. He didn't know yeah. what was happening. Look, it was he did well. It was very popular, <laughs> and was probably helped by the fact that he was actually in a ship surgeon at the time. Interesting. Yes, but still, it was not. It was the one that misspelled the name. Oh, incredible! Uh, yeah, and that became more famous than the actual spelling of the name, <laughs> and it continued for decades and decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's most of the story of the Mary Celeste, but I will give like kind of a little summary of what happened to it afterwards. Yeah. So it got this reputation for being like cursed. Yeah, I mean, it was. I'm sorry. It was, right? But it gets worse because it regularly lost money for everyone who tried to use it. Another captain died not long after uh, taking control of it. He got sick. Oh, my God. Yep. Um, and eventually it got wrecked off the coast of Haiti in 1885, just as in as part of an insurance scam. <laughs> but that, <laughs> that then went to court and... It went. It was obviously a scam, and it was going to end very badly for everyone involved. They adjusted the charges in a way that would stop the captain from being uh, put to death or what he'd done or yeah. um, intentionally wrecking it. But he died in poverty like three months later anyway because he got sick, and he obviously no one was hiring him for anything because they couldn't trust him after this. And of his uh, two of his other co-conspirators, one went mad and the other one killed himself. This is some Pharaoh's tomb. I right know. Here. <laughs> yeah, and the ship is like obviously now wrecked and it's just off the coast of Haiti and you can see parts of it. Like, I think they found bits of wood that they believed to be the Mary Celeste and then couldn't substantiate some of it. So actually I can't I can't remember if you can really see much of the original boat or they just think it might be the boat, but yeah. I am gobsmacked. Yeah. <laughs> can I just say I also love all these old-timey insurance scams. I know. <laughs> There's so many of them. <laughs> Very, very funny. It's very funny because, like, what they did was they brought on all this cargo and massively overinsured it for what it was and then wrecked the boat, but wrecked it in a way where you could still see what the cargo was and you could tell that the cargo was pretty worthless. So, like, obviously the insurance cam didn't work. <laughs> so they just did all of their jobs badly. Yeah. Just, like, every part of it. Terrible scammers. Like, the worst. Yeah, not good sailors and apparently not good scammers either. <laughs> wow. Well, good sailors if you're trying to wreck a boat, which I guess they were, so. <laughs> but also not well enough, though. <laughs> no. I, I cannot believe anyone got on that boat and was like, yes, this is a thing I am now signing up yeah. to do. Well, for like long periods of time between then and, and when it was wrecked, um, it was just like sitting in, in harbours and starting to rot away a little bit. Because people didn't want to get on it. Yeah, no one wanted to be on it, which makes sense. Totally valid. (laughs) I feel like something went down on that ship. Oh, yeah. And keep in mind, this isn't even much time. Like, uh, what, it was built in 61, wrecked in 85. Wow. Happens in 24 years. Yeah, wow. Happens in your lifetime. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Wow, yeah. That's insane. That's a that's a wild. Yeah, you're right. I did not know any of that. <laughs> yeah, neither. I went into it like spooky ghost ship. And then I was like, oh wow, actually cursed ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually verifiably cursed yeah. ship. <laughs> like for, don't even have to think about the actual ghost ship bit. Like it's all the other stuff. Yeah. You could totally <laughs> cut out the whole adrift on the ocean thing and it would still be a cursed ship. It would be like ship. multiple captains died uh, like on their first voyage of it. Of three, just like illness. Three captains. Two of illness, one was obviously on the uh, yeah. ghost ship bit but like <laughs> yikes 
Yeah. I, I don't know how I can follow that one up. That's crazy. <laughs> Tell me about some spooky lake stuff. Is this the is This, this the is lake? not the spooky lake stuff. No. The spooky lake stuff, lake stuff we're keeping for last. The next one is more spooky abandoned ship stuff. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. So the story goes that this missionary, this Dutch missionary, is sailing around trying to be a missionary uh, and he lands on this island. It appears to be abandoned when he finds the remnants of a crew. And there is one survivor among them, a German man, who basically imparts to this missionary his, his story. That he was on this ship. Now, this story comes from, like, the mid-20th century. So we're talking, like, 1940s and 50s here. Like, this is not some wooden, wooden sailing ship's time. This, this is post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the German gentleman, he imparts his, his tale to the missionary. And he basically tells the story of how uh, he was on this ship, they were sailing for America, and people began to suffocate with no, like, cause. Like, they were just suffocating for no reason. Um, And what basically eventually happened was that so many people were dropping dead that they called abandoned ship, and Ed, the remaining survivors, uh, basically got on a boat and fled. They landed on this island, and he was the last one remaining. Um, And he died of sickness not long after. This story is then published in a Dutch-Indonesian newspaper, and then later reprinted in two American newspapers, including the Albany Times, as basically fact. The story then goes that there is another ship that is sailing the ocean, uh, and they come across this huge uh, sort of World War II vessel. No crew on board, they can't signal anyone, they pull up alongside, uh, and they hop on board trying to see like what is going on, what, what is this ship? And they notice that this sh- ship looks really old and really poorly cared for. It's not been maintained. It's rusting. It's like a metal metal ship. Like it's not not a good time. They start going through the bowels of the ship, trying to find where the crew is, and they start finding these corpses and smelling this weird smell. And someone calls fire, and they all turn tails and run back to their ship as the boat catches fire and sinks in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And they basically return and they tell this tale to another newspaper um, where it's printed. The funny thing about this thing, right, the, the really wild thing about this ship, this ship that was called, uh, according to the Dutch-Indonesian newspaper, it was called uh, the Orang Medan, which translates from Indonesian to the Man of Medan. This ship doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, this yeah. ship, there is no record of it in any port logs. Mm-hmm. The ownership is not written anywhere. It's just this story that was printed in this Dutch newspaper and then reprinted in these American newspapers and then it just kind of kept growing. So either it was a ship that was intentionally erased from the records because of something that it was carrying in its cargo hold post-World War II, or it is a ship that was literally just made up out of thin air yeah, 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 <laughs> by yeah, reporters a as a story and then was printed as fact in later newspapers. The really kind of twisty part of this story is that there is actually a declassified CIA document from this period um, that you can read online. It's like part of like a, like a collection of documents that was later declassified. Because this is like, yeah, as I say, mid-20th century. And the document is like one of the only written official mentions of this ship, the Man of Badan. But it's very funny because it's essentially just like a letter from one guy to another saying, hey, I read about this ship in the newspaper. What's up with that? <laughs> and, then, and then just like. So, That's it. Yeah. So it's like it's a case of like either this this ship existed and it was, as I say, intentionally obscured 
because because of what it was carrying. The, the theory goes that it was carrying some kind of dangerous chemical cargo, which yeah, is what sort right. of caused people to start yeah. um, dropping like flies. Uh, and then later to, for the ship to catch fire. Yeah. Or it was just some reporters having a good time. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of story I'd make up. It's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty wild time. And it wasn't like, and as I say, like, this isn't like, this isn't a wooden sailing shop. Like, this is post-World War II. Yeah. It's just supposed to be like a, a warship of some kind. Yeah. It's like super weird. Yeah. Because it's like, there's so many written accounts where you can be like, oh, the, here's this story of this ship. And like, here's more information about it. And it's like, okay, where is the ship? Yeah. And- this story about it being found and catching fire, that's added on later, right? Yes, that was from another newspaper report. Later. Yeah. How verifiable is that Literally story? not. Like, no, not anymore, at least. Yeah, okay. There's no, like, there's no pictures, there's no logs from this ship that it happened. Yeah. There's there's nothing. Yeah. And there's no even evidence that if that ship did caught fire, had all the dead people on it, did exist. There's no evidence that that ship was the Man of Badan itself. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, the reason that I came across this story specifically is because there's obviously a video game about mm-hmm. it. A very, um, <laughs> it's certainly a video game. <laughs> um, it should be a game. Yeah. Yeah. So you've played another game from the same studio because you played yeah, Until, Until Dawn. Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Until Dawn, really good game. Really good game, as we now know. Mm-hmm. Man of Dan, so much potential, incredible setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not as good as it could have been. Yeah, you know, real disappointing ending. Um, yeah, because this would make an incredible game. Yeah, I can I can see it so perfectly. It'd yeah. be amazing. Absolutely, and the game is it's basically as if the boat didn't sink and you you pull up alongside it and it's just this massive hulking like a rusting great behemoth on the ocean and mm. you you go on board and you basically start walking around and finding all the dead people like oh yeah. that's so spooky yeah we're definitely gonna play it but yeah i'm um, gonna love it whether or not the, the ship actually existed great. couldn't tell that. you <laughs> i love that that's really cool yeah yeah no no like i, I wish i could say it with certainty that there was registered to this port a ship yeah. by this name but no I'm just going to say in my heart it exists. <laughs> Not that I want anyone to have died, but it's just cool and spooky. <laughs> it's, it's very spooky. The idea that whatever was whatever it was carrying, mm. they didn't realize that it was toxic or something or they weren't ca- or they weren't caring for it properly yeah. and it just like started killing them. Yeah. Anyway, I will yes, I will try and follow that up. Oof. With a a very ver- much more verifiable story, <laughs> but one that is still extremely mysterious. Have you ever heard of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse Mystery before I mentioned it? No, absolutely not. No. So this is one of those ones where if you're like me and you have a weird thing about lighthouses as a as, as just a place to live. <laughs> Can I say a slight side note about around the twist, anyone? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like the insanity of that is just what I assume all lighthouses are like. I hated Round the Twist as a no, kid. No, I loved it. Yeah. You did like I just it. find it so scary. Oh, yeah, as that like checks a, out. Yeah. As like a five-year-old child, horrifying. No, it is horrifying. <laughs> um, I'll never get over that one child who pees against a tree and then he's pregnant with a like nymph baby. Yes, and then he like uh, like burps up the baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. anyway, Australian children's television, guys. <laughs> yeah, you can watch the entire um, episode for that one online. It is on YouTube. I've, I've shown it to people before. <laughs> Because I had to be like, you have to understand what horrifying culture I grew up in. <laughs> I feel like Round the Twist is truly like, it's a great window into Australian culture because it's it's none of the like outbacky stuff that people used yes. to. It's just the like bat insane. It's crazy. <laughs> bat redacted <Yeah>. insane. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, that's it. Round the Twist. Wacky stuff. I'm expecting yes. the Flannan Isles mystery to be 
uh, just equally insane. Yeah, not as fun. This oh. is just... Well, I, this is more along the lines of what most um, creepy lighthouse things that I've enjoyed in the past have been, which is just um, if you're living in a lighthouse, it's extremely isolating and quite a strange and difficult job and very weird for people's psyche, especially because some lighthouses are in very, I mean, all of them tend to be in very remote places, right? Yeah, point of the lighthouse. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of very good films I would recommend if anyone is into lighthouses, like The Lighthouse, <laughs> which was a recent film, but also um, Cold Skin. That is a weird movie about a lighthouse near Antarctica. Interesting. Would recommend. Um, anyway, so Van Nile's Lighthouse Mystery. McLean and Isles are in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. So this is off the West Coast. And they are like the outer, outer part of the Outer Hebrides. So the Flannan Isles, they are also known as the Seven Hunters and they are now uninhabited. And at the time that we're talking about, which is about, you know, turn of the century, they were only inhabited because of the lighthouse. And we're thinking turn of the century between the... 19th to 20th. I thought so, yeah. I just wanted to be sure. Yeah, yeah, I should should have um, clarified. Many turns of the centuries have happened. There have been at least three. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a historian. I know time. (laughs) Anyway, so, Blind and Isles. Yeah. um, The Seven Hunters. The one we're talking about is Eileen Moore. So, that's the one island that's got the highest point. So, obviously, good for a lighthouse. And it's quite steep. Eileen Moore. Um, so, as I said, they've been uninhabited since uh, 1971. So that's when the lighthouse became automated. But up until that point, there were still people living there. Just there, though. So you'd have people moving between the part of the Outer Hebrides, which is inhabited, which is much further west, and then onto the Flannan Isles. Other than the lighthouse, there is one other structure on Eileen Moore, and it is a small ruined chapel originally dedicated to St. Flannan. So it's very small, very old, not used. Obviously, it's completely de- destroyed. Yeah. But I think it is... I, I, couldn't find the exact date for it, but it is quite old. The lighthouse is built between 1895 and 1899. And alongside the lighthouse is a small railway going from two pickup points uh, nearer to the coast of the island and then basically going up the hill so that people could push up all the provisions they had to put, take to the actual lighthouse. Mm. It was obviously a very difficult journey and it was like a hand, like handcart type situation. Yeah. 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 Come to December 1900. The lighthouse has not been in operation for very long because it was just completed a year before, but it is currently being manned by three men, Thomas Marshall, Donald MacArthur, and James Duckett. And then there's a fourth relief keeper named Joseph Moore, and he's staying at the moment on the Isle of Lewis, which is the nearest inhabited spot. Mm. Uh, on December 15th, a steamer called the Arctor is traveling from the US to Edinburgh, and it goes past where the uh, lighthouse should be, but notice that the light isn't actually on. Oh, no. The winter conditions are quite tough, but so it's having a difficult time in this area, which is partly why it realizes, oh, why is there not this, you know, lighthouse that's usually there to help me? Yeah, the point of this thing. Yeah. So that's recorded on the 15th. And that sort of, they go on with, you know, their journey and just have that, you know, remembered. So the relief vessel, the Hesperus, is due to go back to the lighthouse on December 20th, which is five days after the steamer has noticed that the light's no longer working. But because the weather is so bad, uh, the Hurstboros and the relief keeper have to wait until the 26th. So they come towards Eileen Moore, uh, and from offshore, the crew of the Hurstboros can see that something's not right. So the usual provision boxes that would be left near the coast are not there. The flag on the flagstaff is not flying, and none of the keepers are coming outside to welcome the ship, which is what usually would happen around this time. They should have seen it because they're in the lighthouse. 100%, yeah. So the captain sends off a flare and he sounds the ship's horn and still nothing. Yeah, wow. 
that would be like horrifying as, as a person on that boat. Because yeah. you, you know at that moment something has gone terribly wrong. Yeah, and you've got three men on there. And in the case of Thomas More, these are his colleagues. Yeah. Because he's their relief keeper. So he's just looking at this thinking like... Yeah, so he's going to replace one of them. Yeah. Pr- presumably, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think he was going to replace uh, MacArthur from memory. And that's just like a regular thing that always happens. And sometimes people are, are a bit late for that. That's not unusual. Like that just happens obviously with it being so far out. The weather is quite bad yeah. a lot of the time. And it is winter, so... Is pretty normal on their side. <laughs> so to turn up suddenly and have no one responding to the sound of the ship's horn or anything is extremely weird. Yeah. So Moore sets off in a launch boat by himself, oh. which is a choice. Sir, no. I know. <laughs> so he goes off by himself and he steps onto the island alone. He goes up and finds the compound gate and the main door both closed. And then inside the lighthouse, he can't find a single person. The, lo- the clocks have all stopped. And the beds are unmade. So they were slept in and then left. left. Yeah. According to one version of the story, probably exaggerated, there's a chair lying on the ground where it had fallen and the keeper's canary was found sitting in a cage, half starved but alive. That is likely an addition uh, because there is a poem that uses those elements later. Mm. But still, as an image, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, he's extremely worried and nervous. So he goes back to the ship he tells him what he's seen, and then he brings two more crew members back with him to Thank do a you. more thorough. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, the ball's on this guy to go by himself in the first place. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, at the very least, like, presuming everything went fine and one of them is a murderer and just killed the other two, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and it's what, waiting in the shadows with a knife? Like, I I'm not. I, what? It's such a choice. Considering he wouldn't have gone alone normally because he would have had to have crew members of the ship to help him move the provisions. That's what I was thinking. It's like that, I can't imagine that everyone on the boat was like, yes, you just go alone, sir. Yep. Like, <laughs> I honestly think they all saw it and they were like, nah, yeah. <laughs> not touching that. Honestly, same. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, I sympathize. So he does finally take two crew members back and they do a more thorough search. They find a set of oil skins in the lighthouse. That's what you'd, you'd be wearing as a, as a keeper because um, they obviously repel the water. Yeah. Um, so they, they find one set of oil skins left over, suggesting one of the keepers had gone outside without proper clothing. It's very unusual to just find this by itself. Yeah. Uh, by the west landing point of the two landing points, that's above, uh, sorry, that's about 30 meters above sea level. Mm-hmm. They find the provision boxes have been partially smashed. And part of the railway track, which is embedded in concrete, has been pulled out of its concrete and parts of the iron railings are bent. And there is a huge rock, which is usually would weigh about, I think, over a ton, and it's been displaced. Yeah, so, so, I mean, uh, my presumption with that would be a massive storm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's obviously where they're just like kind an of insane go. storm. Yeah. It would have to be insane for it to happen for this damage to be thirty meters above sea level. Yeah, one hundred percent, and to be lifting rocks, you know, that are that are a ton that heavy, yeah, exactly. and even further up. So up to sixty meters above sea level, further up the island, they find all of this um, turf, so bits of grass and ground ripped out, and like meters away from the cliff. So like inland from the cliff face there's all this like yeah, okay. turf that's been ripped away just out of curiosity the the with the turf is that like someone has pulled it up or is that like someone has dug it up or is that like something has dug it up i'm not sure i uh, just from the descriptions it sounds more like it's like they thought it was some kind of damage from 
like natural means. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not like like hand marks in the turf yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, you know? yeah. So possibly like a, a mud, a small mudslide of some kind. Yeah, or like really, again, like a really bad storm, some yeah. kind of like high winds and water or something. But if this is 60 meters above sea level, that's pretty yeah. exceptional. Yeah. So Moore and three sailors from the ship have to stay on the island to work the lighthouse while the Hurstbrist goes back to Yeah, the, um, yeah, to the, the lighthouse, which hasn't been working for 10 days yes. at minimum. But like, there are uh, accounts from them saying this was a horrible experience because yeah. they are so stressed and so nervous. And it's just like no one can work out what's happened. Yeah. And think, considering the fact that they have to then sleep in the beds of the men who have disappeared. And, and like their colleagues too. Like that's, Yes. That's horrible. Men they knew. Did they... Was it a plan for these guys to just stay here temporarily and they'd go and get someone else to, like... These guys stay and the and the ship goes back to Lewis to try and, like, you know, begin the investigation the, yeah. process. So what happens is the captain um, sends a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board with the news and they send a superintendent to the island to investigate the disappearance. Yeah. Now, the superintendent, he's... A man who uh, knew the lighthouse keepers personally as well, and in some cases, I believe, hired them. Yeah. So that's... it's not just like he's doing his job, but he's also like yeah, personally looking personally for his friends, distressed. possibly. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously these are, these are small communities we're talking about. Lewis has not got a huge population. I think now even it has like under twenty thousand people. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's pretty small, especially at this time. So he goes, he examines the damage, particularly to the landing point, and he describes it as in quotes. Difficult to believe unless actually seen. I think particularly the um, the way the concrete and the railing had been ripped up. Yeah. That's quite exceptional. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost sounds like a, a minor earthquake of some kind. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. But this is like the Outer Hebrides in Scotland. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not... And <laughs> not, also, everyone else would have felt an earthquake that was big enough to shift. Exactly. Like, yeah. So that's what's really unusual is that they also don't... Can't think of any uh, storm activity that was bad enough to cause this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not been that terrible. So he eventually concludes that what happened was that the men had been working up until the evening of December 15th. And obviously that's the like date that the lighthouse was seen not to be working. So that's as far as we can kind of mm. like date it. Yeah. So up until that evening, he theorized that probably two of the keepers had gone down the hill to secure the box of provisions, the one that had been found smashed further down the hill. And that somehow like a huge wave or something had come up and swept them away. And, uh, the third lighthouse keeper who by like his job is not allowed to leave the lighthouse if the others are away. Like one person always has to man it. That is the absolute rule. Yeah. But if he noticed they never turned up, he might have left to go and try and find them in a similar fate. And presumably not in his oils. Yeah. So there's this idea that maybe he ran off without his oil skins and he was in such a kind of anxious state to try and find them that he just left them behind. Doesn't account for the fact that the door and the gate were carefully closed. Like they weren't like left open because he'd run off in a yeah. in a rush without his protective clothing. He'd still carefully closed all yeah. of these doors. Yeah. So it's unusual and it doesn't quite fit. And it's not taken as it can't be fully accepted as an explanation. Yeah. It's just a sort of theory. And it, I think it's like fairly somewhat reasonable theory, but I don't think it covers everything. It's so, as reasonable as you can get when you can't go sort of off the rails, you know. Exactly. But people do yeah. because people are people. Mm -hmm. So this story is taken up. And speculation, you know, get, goes a bit wild. <laughs> so there's theories about man-eating sea serpents. More krakens? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or even giant seabirds who just came and plucked them off the rock and then flew away. Axe-wielding krakens. Well, <laughs> 
there could have been an axe-wielding man yet again, because one of the other theories is that MacArthur, who had a history of violence, might have attacked the other two. Oh, no. Yeah. I say history of violence, not of murder, but there is some record in the past that he had had some, like, anger management problems, shall we say. So some people theorise that maybe he had, yeah, attacked the others and then killed himself out of guilt or something. Why do I feel like they just let anyone work these lighthouses? Well, you've got to be a certain kind of person to work a lighthouse. Like, yeah. that is not an easy job. I feel like there should be a screening process that maybe <laughs> really takes should. care of the ones that have anger management issues. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, I mean, that's one of the other big theories is just that people think the isolation of lighthouse keeping just had an impact them. on their minds. Yeah. A lot of, like, psychologists have actually looked into this to try and understand the story better. Mm. But nothing conclusive. Um, what did happen was years later, this series of log entries appeared, supposedly from the lighthouse, supposedly written by the keeper Thomas Marshall, and they claimed that the island had been beset by extreme storms and that James Duckett had been struck silent, that MacArthur had been crying, that all these odd things had been happening in the days leading up to the, the disappearance, mm. uh, including that all men had you know stopped to pray and like done all these things, which as seasoned uh, sailors and then later lighthouse keepers would be unusual, especially in a storm. You're mm. in a lighthouse, you kind of expect storms to be a bit scary. Mm. But there's all these like stories, yeah, that they were having a really difficult time. And then there's the final entry dated just to December, December 15th. But there is, but years later, and I mean literally 2020, uh, the journalist Mike Dash, who actually will probably come up later because um, when we eventually do an episode on the Batavia, he's the one who wrote the book on that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. I like Mike Dash. But um, there's uh, this, he kind of did a bit of digging and couldn't find any actual record of these log entries. Yeah, it seems okay. like someone just kind of, like with your Man of Medan episode, made them up. Yeah, and just wanted some clout or whatever. Exactly, yeah, and just kind of inserted them into the story and they became part of the mythology around it. Yeah. And, yeah, there's no basis for them whatsoever. Yeah, yeah but that is that is essentially the Flannan Isles Lighthouse mystery. There is, like, there's been no actual explanation for what happened. There's just a couple of theories going around, but it's just very strange. Yeah, so three men go on lighthouse duty and, and none. We're never seen again. Yeah. Yeah that's wow yeah spooky that's yeah oof i am i'm so keen to watch the uh the vanishing which is the 2018 film based on these events (laughs) i'm not see how they did it yeah (laughs) i will make you watch it i will not be watching this movie thank you very much that is not up my alley thank you it's a no from me (laughs) you say that before you're about to tell me what i think are some quite scary stories about a river no, a lake. A lake, yeah. Yeah. Now, so there is so much about this lake that I'm not going to go too deep into it because uh, I think deep. we... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because I think we may do a more extended episode on this one. Oh, okay. On some of the specifics. But I do just want to bring it up as um, one of the most horrifying places I've ever heard of, to be honest. Anyway, so Lake Superior, which is... One of the Great Lakes in North America, so it's it's on the border of Canada and the United States. It is the largest of the Great Lakes by area and by volume, and is technically an inland sea. So it is big enough to have its own weather and like all that situation. It holds ten percent of all the fresh water on the earth. Okay, yeah, that's a lake. <laughs> that's that is not only a lake; it is so deep that it carries. Yeah, it's it's massively deep. It is 
freezing cold. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot even begin to explain how cold this lake is. And it's so deep that the bottom of the lake is just, like, incomprehensibly, like, the, yeah, the, it's just, yeah. You're really stressed. I'm, I'm You're, so like, stressed stressed. Like... stressed. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> anyway. It's also a glacial lake. Um, which means that it was made by me- melting glaciers. Yeah, Just to yeah, give you yeah. an idea of, you know. Yeah, post-Ice Age. Exactly, glaciers, what we're yeah. talking about here. Yeah. Um, now, because of the size uh, and its geography and basically where it is and how cold it is, it experiences extreme weather, like basically no place on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's not extreme as in it's the most extreme. It's just unique to this particular area. Mm. In the language of the indigenous people of the area, Ojibwe, Lake Superior is called uh, Gichigami or Kichikami, depending on the dialect. It is very, very deep and it is very, very cold. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm so thrilled. I want to go there on holiday. You're like... <laughs> shaking and sweating and stressed. I'm kidding, I exaggerate, but also, so are you okay? So there is this particular point on Lake Superior. Um, it is called Whitefish Point, uh, and it is the most dangerous part of Lake Superior. And as I say, this lake, because of its location, is a major shipping route. The lake floor around Whitefish Point and like several other places in Lake Superior is literally littered with shipwrecks. Oh my god. Yeah. And some of these shipwrecks still have bodies in them because Lake Superior is so cold, they freeze and they preserve perfectly. Oh, that is terrifying. Some people die of Lake Superior and, like, search out these wrecks. Yeah. Um, I hate it so much, Anna. <laughs> no. I'm so scared. And I'm in Australia, and that's in North America. <laughs> it can't hurt you. You're not going to die at the lake. It's okay. <laughs> um, I think, as they say, I think we will do a little more on Lake Superior because there's, like, some very specific shipwrecks that are very unique. Mm-hmm. But basically all you need to know is because of how deep and cold it is, these shipwrecks are, like, excellently preserved. That's cool. And, like, the bodies in them are excellently preserved and... The, I I feel like as a kid, uh, maybe it's just me, but we all had that irrational fear that like there was bodies in whatever body of water that you were swimming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lake Superior is literally a body of water in which there are literally bodies in the water that you're swimming in. <laughs> like literally, dozens, if not hundreds, of bodies. You've said literally in bodies so many I know. times in the last sentence. <laughs> I'm so stressed. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds horrifying. Like they should make a horror game out of that. I'm. I mean, there might be. They probably. probably there might exist. be. I mean, hope one's in the works. I'm not going to play it, but good for them. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play it, and you live with me soon. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to watch it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's one of those things where there is like video footage of like people diving, and that is my worst fear. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that for this Halloween episode. You were just like, what are three things that will really scare me to research that I can now talk about? And I was just like, here's a couple scary stories. <laughs> I see, and you're I'm like, terrified. I will plunge my deepest fears. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm terrified the audience is going to be like, yeah, shipwrecks. And I'm here like. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I cannot emphasize to you enough how stressed Luca looks. <laughs> so this, the, the story that gave me. My fear of shipwrecks. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there was this ship. 
It's a it's a modern vessel. This happened very recently. It was just a cargo ship, but it had a small crew, uh, and it was sailing. And I mean, it, classic story. Um, it capsized, as happens. But something that people don't really realize or think about when ships capsize is that they're not all one hundred percent filled with water the whole time, right? They have bits of air that are trapped inside, but there's just not enough of it to keep it afloat. And this ship basically swung almost entirely around, sunk to the seafloor, and there was still air trapped inside. Uh, And one of the sailors on board survived the sinking and was trapped inside the ship on the seafloor. So for three days, he's trapped on, literally on the seafloor. Like the boat, like in an air pocket. In an air pocket, complete darkness, pitch black, in his underwear because he was... He, he was in bed when this happened. Yeah. So there's these people, divers, who it's their whole job just to go into shipwrecks and to salvage the deceased people so that they can be taken back to their families and buried. And these divers, obviously, it was their job. They were going down to do their job. Um, and one of them swims into the room where this gentleman is and turns around and he goes to swim out because he can't see anyone. And this hand just reaches down and he, he thinks, I found another one. Like, this is my job. Anyway, the hand grabs him and he realizes this guy is alive down here and has been alive for three days in pitch black. Incredibly, through like a lot of very smart people, smarter than me, they managed to get him out. Um, They get him some diving gear. They swim him out to the surface. He lives. The thought of that experience, I just cannot comprehend. Like Mm. that is just so horrifying to me. (sighs) Oh, nightmares forever. Yeah, one hundred percent. That yeah. poor man. I, I, I hope that he's okay. Like, yeah, and he's able to, yeah, be okay in his life mm. because. F- like. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to the Mayday podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and have a drink now. We we need to get some um alcohol in here. <laughs> Calm you down a little bit, but not not unnatural alcohol or whatever it was called <laughs> denatured Na- denatured that's it i think i called it untreated alcohol at some point, some point. but yes not denatured alcohol yeah because that's gonna make you abandoned ship well that's gonna like scour your insides because you use it to like <laughs> you know clean wood and decking and things it's the fumes anna it's the fumes that did it anyway thank you marlon our producer and composer for being an absolute legend Yes, you can you can find Marlon at his website, MarlonGrundon.com. Go there. He's very talented. If you've enjoyed this spooky Halloween special episode, uh, do give us a rating or review. We'll go back and do it for our other episodes because, frankly, they're all incredible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> also, if you're on Spotify, which I don't think has reviews, you can also jump on over to our website and leave us one there just to, you know, let us know how we're going. Yeah, maybe we'll pop it up on the website. Yeah. Do you want to be famous on our website only? <laughs> Which has so many hits, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty proud of that website. I love our website, actually. I show it off to people all the time. You did so good. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your Halloween. I hope you're not too scared. I hope you get terrified. Watch some good horror movies. Happy spooks. Play Until Dawn if you haven't already. Yeah, it's a good game. Don't play it. Random <laughs> <laughs> Is that where we're gonna end it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm gonna end it. It's not. <laughs> no.